And good afternoon. It is 4 o'clock. Thank you for tuning in to finding uh, CFRC 101.9 FM, located here in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. And coming up on the show today in the first hour, from a March 7th reading and discussion in celebration of International Women's Day, hosted by Inanna Publications and Novel Idea Bookstore, and with MC Elizabeth Green, you'll hear readings by Lisa De Nicolets, Hannah Brown, Kate Kelly, and Ursula Plug. In the second hour, continuing with that International Women's Day reading and discussion, you'll hear a final reading by the evening's MC again, Elizabeth Green, and then the Q&A after that with all five of them. So, And then following that, uh, about midway through the hour from the March 3rd open mic in the And the Journey Continues monthly series, you'll hear readings by Jordan Lane, Leanne Taras, Ken Chin, Billy Kearns, Gretchen Huntley, Sasha Hill, and Meg Freer. This first, though, the usual hourly announcement, occasionally some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show, may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. Okay, let's go ahead and move into that March 7th reading and discussion in celebration of International Women's Day hosted by Inanna Publications and Novel Idea Bookstore, again with MC Elizabeth Green. Following her own introduction to the event, you'll then hear readings by, uh, a reading by Lisa DeNicolitz. Here we go. So thank you very much for coming out on really a lovely Saturday evening. I mean, it's starting to be night, but it's a lovely Saturday evening, and it is an unusual time. Um, thank you for coming to Anana's second International Women's Day reading in Kingston. So we have four great writers who have come from afar. Um, Lisa DeNicolitz, um, Hannah Brown, um, Kate Kelly, and Ursula Flug, and they will all read in turn. So I, I, I'm not going to try to say much. I didn't want to try to say much before, but now my voice is given out, so I really don't want to try to say much. So um, Inanna, for those of you who don't know, is a feminist press based at York University, and thanks to their publicist, Renee Knapp, for organizing this event. Um, but I organize the dinners and drinks after. <laughs> Important. Um, anyway, we have in our audience Inanna's very talented designer of wonderful covers, Val Fuller, who's recently moved to Kingston. So I'm really glad you could come and be with us. Um, thanks always to Oscar and Novel Idea for being so welcoming to writers and to Joanna Milan, whose amazing tapas are an essential part of that warmth and generosity and you know, deserve a credit on all their own. Um, thanks especially to our four writers, Lisa and Hannah, who have traveled from Toronto 
and Kate and Ursula who have traveled from Peterborough. And without them, this event would not exist. So when I think of International Women's Day, I think of Bronwyn Wallace, who is still a large presence in Kingston 30 years after her death. Um, Bronwyn was part of the memorable International Women's Day programs at St. Lawrence College. And the, the line I remember from one of those was her saying in a skit to Joanne McAlpin, then Joanne McAlpin Sunak, pornography is lies, lies about women. And that really says it. <laughs> um, um, and Bronwyn's last public appearance um, was a talk, Blueprints for a Larger Life, at St. Lawrence College. Um, she gave it to a packed auditorium in 1989. And yay, Carolyn Smart has edited her poetry, and it will be available in June from McGill Queen's Press. So, um, okay, so... Um, so I'll introduce you briefly to each of our four wonderful authors and turn the floor over to each of them in turn. Uh, although Anana publishes many great women writers, I think of Lisa de Nicolitz as being the face of Anana. <laughs> <laughs> um, the occult persuasion and the, and the anarchist's solution is her ninth novel. Um, they're all different, but they all have spunky, resourceful women characters. They, they've always got great groups. They alternate a scary sense of evil with humor, courage, and resilience, and a sense of good, too. Um, Lisa's work has been translated into Italian, and she's toured in Italy. She's taking the occult persuasion to Australia, where it's set. So please welcome Lisa to Nicolette. I'm just going to clutch this because every now and then I find lately there's like a dryness in the air and then my throat kind of catches. So if I just stop, that's why. So yes, so the occult persuasion and the anarchist solution is set in Australia. It's an Oakville couple set off on a world trip. And then what happens is basically the husband has an emotional breakdown and he disappears and he steals a Jeep that has a fantastic cat in it. And then the wife is left in Sydney. So... Um, we're going to join the wife who's been left in Sydney, but before that I just wanted to say about International Women's Day um, that I have been thinking about the Virgin Mary, which, as you'll see from my reading, isn't a new idea to me, but on this, International Women's Day, I wonder why the Virgin Mary was so neglected after Jesus' death. You know, we never hear anything more of her because she was only really deemed worthy and relevant for that very specific and quite limited role. So, and things like that have an impact on the way we see ourselves as women um, as we grow older, which you'll see how I've sort of used that in, in a fictional context. Um, so in the reading, I'm going to look at, you know, how you explore women's roles as wives and mothers and, um, and then also include a piece of... Uh, about the Virgin Mary. So, here we are with Margot. I took the bus to Coogee Beach, and by mid-morning, I was sitting on the hilltop at the Coogee Virgin Mary Shrine. Worshippers swear that the Virgin had been seen in the very spot I was sitting, and the shrine had been built in her honor. 
gold and silver Christmas balls, tinsel, and glittering pink and purple carnival beads were draped across the aging laminated newspaper clippings of the sightings, along with rosaries, burnt out candles, and mementos of desperate prayers. This was not my first visit to the shrine, and that's why I've been so extremely blunt with my son, because I had my own issues to deal with. The previous day, yes, not even 24 hours earlier, I had asked the Virgin Mary for help. I prayed for the first time in my life since I was a schoolgirl, and even back then, I hadn't really prayed. I went to church with my mother, but as soon as I could, I stopped going. So I had prayed for the first time in decades, begging for help. Please let me hear from Lyndon. Please. I can't go on like this. I need your help. I need to know what's going on. And then, first thing the next morning, my husband sent me an email. There was no way around it. My prayer had been answered. And I didn't know how I felt about that. Because life was easier to manage without religion muddying up the waters. I felt guilty for having asked God for anything. And who was the God who had answered me? And this led me to wonder, had they done other things along the way in my life that I hadn't acknowledged? And would I be punished for not having acknowledged them? But I didn't even know God was there. Oh, I was sick of it all. I was sick of being needed in the wrong ways. I was sick of standing on the pinnacle of the mountain of my life and looking down at such a mess. It had always been a joke between Lyndon and me that life was like mountain climbing and somehow we'd felt so superior to everyone else. Why was that? I stared at the virgin shrine. All I had were unanswered questions and crushing guilt. I couldn't sit still. I was angry with the virgin, which confused me. Perhaps it was because she had answered my prayer, but it hadn't changed anything. Maybe I hadn't asked for the right thing. I should have asked Belinda to come back and fix this mess. But instead, I'd asked to hear from him, which I had, but not in the way that I wanted. So pretty much thanks for nothing, I told the virgin. And I wondered if I only imagined the sun ducking behind a cloud, because the whole world darkened for an instant while my body felt lit up like a human biofield image. My anger was radioactive, and I shut my eyes and tugged at my hair, needing to feel some pain. Or I had asked for help, all I got was this cryptic message, and I wanted to smash the shrine, rip the newspaper clippings, and scatter those stupid, shiny Christmas ornaments. And what were Christmas ornaments doing on the shrine in April anyway? <laughs> Clearly, I needed to bring this terrible <coughs> mood under control. And as the wave of anger ebbed, I felt exhausted, eviscerated by life. I needed to leave, that much was for sure. But I decided to take a photograph of the Virgin to mark the moment as a reminder for me to thank her later. So I snapped a shot of her with her outstretched hand and her kind smile and her flowing robes, and I checked to see if the image was in focus. Something very strange had happened, and I wondered if my phone was broken. Because where Mary should have been, there was no image. 
only a black cardboard cutout. So I took a picture of the bathing station beyond, <coughs> tested my boat, no, that was all good. Took a few pictures of a frolicking dog, that was fine. More pictures of the Virgin Mary and they were all the same. The tinsel, the gold balls, the rosaries and the candles were all there, but the Virgin was solid black. So she decides maybe she's hydrated, dehydrated, she needs to hydrate, so she's going to walk to Bondi and regroup and everything will start to make sense. So she gets to a really nice upscale restaurant in Bondi and she goes to the, decides to go to the washroom. So I felt dizzy. I needed food, water and rest. I knew I, I needed to find an outdoor cafe where I could have a glass of wine, take a Xanax and calm down. <laughs> I knew I should be thinking about Lyndon and his message, but I was too frazzled by the Virgin. So I walked into the first restaurant I could find and ordered a cocktail with rum, pineapple and coconut. I told the waiter I'd be right back. I went to the washroom and I studied myself in the mirror. I wished my 20-year-old self could see the face I was looking at now because I had no idea what I was looking at. Was I old? What was old? Old people said they didn't feel old, but I felt old. So I reached into my purse and smeared on some makeup, but I only made things work worse, like I was trying to fill in cracks, which stood out even more. <laughs> Lipstick turned me into a demented clown. Oh my God, I was the joker. If there is a God, then you're a cruel one for having invented aging, I told the mirror. And how come we never see pictures of the Virgin older? She's stuck at what? An eternal 20? <laughs> the math doesn't add up. Mary, if Jesus died when he was 33, Mary would have been at least 47. Where are her wrinkles? Where are her sunspots? Her hands are unlined. All of her is unlined. Talk about creating unrealistic body expectations. And I realize that my observations are not endearing me to you and that I should be more careful after your recent display of anger. And then the door opened. And a woman stared at the crazy lady who looked like the Joker who was shouting at the mirror, or rather, <laughs> shouting at the Virgin Mary and God. Margot! Oh my God, it's you! Oh my God, just what I didn't need. Anita. I let her hug me. She twisted me into an awkward embrace and I felt like I was being crushed by an Iron Maiden. She finally let me go. I'm here having a girl's lunch, she said. Are you here with Lyndon? I didn't spot the gorgeous man out there. Gorgeous man? No, he's back at the hotel I like. He isn't feeling good, but I love Bondi, so I thought I would come and have lunch by myself. Oh, darling, so brave of you. Well, I'm here to save you. My word, I would have thought you'd been off to your next big world stop weeks ago. We had dinner, what, three, four weeks ago? What have you been doing in Sydney all this time without getting in touch? But never mind, I have to tinkle and then we'll join the others at the table. Who even uses the word tinkle? She carried on chatting to me while she tinkled loudly and I wondered, should I make a run for it? But no, I had to pay for my cocktail and she'd find me and the whole thing would be so weird and strange. So I just stood there until she came out adjusting her panties and I looked away. She was 65 if she was a day and I really didn't need to see her adjusting her leopard print thong. And I wished I'd taken my Xanax. 
but I didn't have the chance. And now life was roaring at me in full color teeth bed, and I was caught in the gale force wind of Anita's chatter, staring at the uvula of a tiger's throat, which hung there like a giant deformed bloody teardrop. And Anita's teeth looked like giant yellow Brazil nuts, half skinned, and there was a rushing noise in my head, and then suddenly there was silence. Anita was staring at me. Darling, are you okay? And I couldn't tell her that she was the open mouth of a tiger with Brazil nuts for teeth. <laughs> I couldn't tell her that my husband had left me. I couldn't tell her anything real. So I said, Coogee's Virgin Mary turned black. And then I felt myself fainting. <laughs> I fell fast. I hit the floor and it felt nice and cool down there. And then there was nothing at all. So thank you very much. <laughs> I'm too reverent. I'm very fond of the Virgin Mary. <laughs> 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 well, this, is, this is your character, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, thank you, Lisa. That was great. That was a great, great story. And you just heard uh, with MC uh, Elizabeth Green, uh, Lisa DeNicolitz at the March 7th reading and discussion again in celebration of International Women's Day hosted by Anana Publications and Novel Idea Bookstore held there, of course. Up next from it, uh, you'll hear as introduced again by Elizabeth Hannah Brown. So our next reader is Hannah Brown from Toronto. She's an award-winning screenwriter and the minute you've read five pages of Look After Her, her debut novel, you'll see that the scenes in it are compact and compelling. It's, you know, it's a really well put together novel. Um, her dialogue's full of tension. I've read Look After Her three times and it never disappoints. So, um, so please welcome Hannah Brown. Eh? glasses last week. Well, I said it's kind of break them, and when um, my son repaired them, he discovered this. <laughs> I don't know. I've had them for a year. Oh. <laughs> I'm not going to turn them on, so you won't feel you're being ripped away. <laughs> um, this book was inspired by, <laughs> by a true story uh, of Ben Fonto. I said, we were talking, and I said, my grandmother was a milliner. And my friend said, my grandmother was a whore. And I said, how did that happen? And my friend said, the parents suddenly died. And a neighbor, instead of taking the, the two girls to uh, a relative, took them to a brothel. And other than that detail, and very few others, very sparse, that's what inspired the book, almost. Because when I said, didn't anybody look for them, my friend's face fell. And 
the look on my mm. friend's face made me think, why wouldn't someone look for them? Mm. So, um, I'm going to, these, um, these young women um, do try to escape more than once, and um, uh, they, it's two, there are two sisters, Hetty and Susanna. Hetty is the person who's talking, that is about to talk through me <laughs> in a minute. Um, and they are planning one of their, they're in the middle of, well, you'll see, you'll see. And as for feminism, I think there's a joke that is kind of funny. We'll see if you think it's funny. <laughs> I thought I was hallucinating. Susanna had left her closet door open again, and I could see her matching green dresses slowly separate wider and wider. I yelped and fell back on the bed. Susanna's young man stepped out, holding a dead mouse suspended by its tail. He turned to gaze at the creature. You can't be afraid of him. He turned his head back to beam at me. He's dead, but I'm not. I'm young with impeccable manners. He had a merry elfin face with a slightly drooping bottom lip. May I introduce myself, he said. Herr Billy Wilder, here to visit with Fraulein Susanna. He bowed, the mouse swinging behind him. Susanna emerged from the bathroom, grabbed the mouse, and threw it in the commode. Our guest washed and dried his hands, completely at ease, but when he went to bow the second time over my hand, he staggered as if he'd lost his balance. Ballast, he explained. <coughs> my little friend was ballast. I couldn't help laughing at him as he strolled around the room, his hands in his pockets. He paused and looked at my Sheila portrait. Because the madam, Frau Krutzel, hadn't been up to our quarters for months, we felt safe hanging it out on the wall, right out in the open, right beside Susanna's Canals of Venice. I've seen drawings by Sheila, he said, naughty ones. The way his people look out at you. We knew him, Susanna linked her arm into his. He painted our portrait when we were children. Very bourgeois, completely clothed. Oh, I know you couldn't possibly be street girls, the kind they say hung around his studio. I can tell by the way you talk. You were rich girls. He looked around the room, shaking his head with very bad luck. Nothing was tragic. Nothing made him angry. He said he was bullied at school for being a rich Jew, and it didn't matter if he told them he wasn't. In fact, that makes it worse. You were supposed to be what they think you are. You know how it is. I didn't. And Susanna didn't care. She adored him. Billy slipped up the stairs every time Krutzel was out. He and my sister laughed or argued happily, laughing at the extravagance of each other's insults, and practiced their questionable English. Both devoured newspapers. I regularly had to agree to an urgent suggestion that I myself might want to read a newspaper and from behind that newspaper, news of the art world and fashion were punctuated by their sighs and muffled laughter. A month later, a brown cardboard tube moved up and down on Billy's sleeping chest. The Schiller drawing was carefully rolled inside, and the canals of Venice were on the floor. They were no longer needed to hang, hide banknotes. This would be our last night here. I, had, was, I was absolutely sure we had enough money. That first night at 13, Rostekstrasse, I had been younger than the boy who was now asleep on her bed. He was like my sister, able to fall asleep easily, undisturbed by the usual racket in the house on Tuesday that began as soon as the old girl left with Herman. Photographs played competing waltzes, and young women called to each other and scampered across hallways. 
Susanna and I were changing as fast as we could into the men's clothing that Billy had brought. This is perfect. No one will pay attention to young men leaving a brothel. I pulled on black socks and attached them to gaiters. But Billy is not who I would have picked for this. Oh, who cares? He's my little Jewish boyfriend. Susanna was having trouble buttoning a starched shirt. The buttons were small, and the buttonholes apparently smaller. And he's very sweet in bed. He's not one of us, our kind of people, that is. Please. We aren't either. Not anymore. <coughs> Susanna buttoned her suspenders to her trousers. We're whores, Hetty. She stretched the suspenders, testing them. He's also shorter than you. I find that adorable, a man. Younger, shorter, stupider, the kind I like. <laughs> he won't always be short. And what kind of a name is Billy? His mother was keen on the Wild West. Buffalo Bill. Oh, shit. The suspenders sprang back. Ouch! Susanna laughed, her automatic response to anything difficult. She hit her hands over her breasts. Ow! I looked at myself in the mirror. Do you think Sheila would mind that I'm going to sell the drawing? No. It's your drawing, the one thing Michelinger never got. This startled both of us. I had never known what she might say, and neither did she. You never take this much time getting dressed, Susanna. But I'm not Susanna. I'm Horst, and he's very careful. Horst is a good name. I'm Reiner. Billy's going to be a journalist. She kept looking at him. Maybe in America. Maybe I should go with him. She looked at me quickly in the mirror. I mean, maybe we should. They have spas there too, you know. She lay down on the bed looking at Billy. We had heard from an American caller that one could acquire false papers in the spa town of baden baden he wanted us to skip town with him, but after our experience with Mischlinger, we decided we would never go anywhere with a man ever again. Billy didn't count. He wasn't really a man, not yet. Susanna said he had to return to Vienna on the next train back or his parents would go mad looking for him. Susanna, did Billy make sure the carriage knows to pick us up at the side of the house? My Billy does everything right. She snuggled up to him. Did you pack my medicine? I flipped my hat so she could see the crown lined with small packets. There's enough to last until we can start the cure. Susanna, I'm worried. I think Kritzel is getting suspicious. Only because you've been smiling. Hetty, do Italians ever go to baden baden You'll find out. Get up. Mustachios, Bella. We dab fixative on our upper lips. One sweep to the left, one sweep to the right, and then pressed on our mustaches. We shrugged into our jackets. We shoved our hair into tight nets and put on our hats. Mine, pale gray. Susanna's, black. Wait. I put a rolled up stocking down the front of Susanna's trousers and its mate down my own. We turned in tandem to get a side view in the mirror. What's that rustling noise, Hetty? I've got money in my underwear. And a very good plan. <laughs> <laughs> And as we break in here uh, with, again, with MC Elizabeth Green, uh, you just heard Hannah Brown at uh, the March 7th reading and discussion in celebration of International Women's Day 
Again, that was hosted by Anana Publications and held at uh, Novel Idea Bookstore, so hosted by them as well. Up next from it, uh, with uh, MC Elizabeth Green again, yeah, you'll hear her introduction, and then Kate Kelly after that. Okay, so Kate Kelly, I, I've just discovered, is, is one, of my, one of my former students. So she, you know, and she still remembers reading HD and Sylvia Plath, which, you know, HD is quite a stretch for second-year students. Anyway, so she graduated from Queen's. She taught in Kingston for five years. She's an educator, singer, songwriter, poet, and, and a spoken word artist who's competed nationally in Toronto and Montreal. So A Harsh and Private Beauty is her first book, and please welcome her. Actually, I do have to thank, uh, thank you because um, I came to Kingston, to Queen's University, and I was doing um, sciences, and um, I was going to do a master's, and I needed three more sciences, and they were calculus and chemistry and, and uh, something else, um, biology. And to fill up my year, I thought, well, I'll take three Englishes because English is easy for me. <laughs> and uh, one of the classes was yours. And... Um, um, she allowed us, instead of to, uh, writing an essay, to either hand in a short story or a journal. So I had moved up here uh, into a, one of the slummier areas of the city and was quite shocked at what was going on and wrote a short, my first really long short story, uh, and it was called Every Man's Death. And I, so I gave it to Professor Charles Pollan, who was my short story teacher, and I fell in love with him because he used the word tintinabulation. And I thought, this is great. And he said to me, and this only happens when you're like 22 years old, um, I said, would you edit my short story for me? And he looked at me and said, well, I'm going to be reading James Joyce this weekend and Henry Melville, but if you want to read your short story, go ahead. And so I said, sure. And he read it, and um, the whole weekend I... I couldn't stop worrying. And then uh, that the class on the Tuesday, he asked me if I had a class afterwards. And I had a three-hour chemistry lab, but I said, oh, no. And so he so walked to my office. And when we got into his office, he said, you know, get out of the sciences and get into the Englishes because you have a very important Canadian voice, much like um, Margaret Lawrence. And I hadn't read really any Margaret Lawrence at the time. And then the irony, of course, is Oh, so I did write that short story and gave it to my professor. And Charles Pullen saying, you know, get out of the sciences, get into the Englishes, that's when I realized, okay, maybe I do have a voice and maybe I do have something to say. And then, funny enough, I got a review from Jan Renner, and she likens Ruby Grace, who is the major character of A Harsh and Private Beauty, to Hagar from <laughs> The Stone Angels. <laughs> um, so what it goes around. And... Um, I wrote A Harsh and Private Beauty because I fell in love with a line from The Shipping News by Annie Prolix. And in the, she wrote, and he rewrote the piece, pasted it up with bold fingers, went out and got drunk to quell the pain of the irksome canker sores. How could they know he swallowed glassful after glassful to comprehend A Harsh and Private Beauty? And I thought, Every life is a harsh and private beauty. And because we are talking about feminism, 
um, Ruby Grace is 89 years old, and she uh, is loosely based on a woman that I knew in Kingston when I was in the theater there. And um, her name was June Whiteman, and she was a trained vocalist, came from uh, Montreal, but her family originally came from Chicago. And by the time I realized what I was going to write, she had passed. So I got to talk to her daughter, and her daughter told me, uh, yes, the family came from Chicago, and we don't really know what happened, but in 29 they packed up and left. And of course, you know what happened in Chicago in 1929 was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, and so I thought, wow, I could like attach these things together. So I went from there, but it is, Ruby Grace is loosely based on June Whiteman, but on many older women that I have known throughout my life and uh, who broke ceilings and made the way easier for the rest of us. <clears throat> Everything begins in larceny and chaos, and then history legitimizes it all. Funny how Leland's words come to me like this after all these years, after all these lies I've seen to live. It all begins in larceny and chaos, and we invent the rest as we invent ourselves, as the world was invented, as the country was invented. Civilization and manners, these are nothing but the shining veneer that covers our darkest beginnings. Leland, you were right. In your joking way, you always saw the truth, clearer than any philosopher, laughing over subjects but always landing heavily on the mark. I miss that the most. I miss you the most. Would you recognize me now, Leland, your ruby grace, actress and nightclub singer, aware of entrances and performances, unpredictable and unconventional, is now old and frail and very civilized. My larceny and chaos is far behind me, buried beneath years of good manners. But you knew me. Just like the truths you were always uncovering, you grew to understand and to know me in so much as it's possible to know another person. Sometimes I think that we can't even know ourselves. We can only know of ourselves. It was through you that I found myself. You made me laugh, Leland, at myself, at the world, at the larceny that was my heritage, buried as it was under layers of upper middle class morality. I am my father's daughter. Daniel Kenny is very much part of who I am. Was that what you saw in me? Was that who you saw in me, your <coughs> grace? Oh, Leland, I miss you. Sitting here waiting for death, living every day a little less than the present. I can feel it slipping away. It's hard on the children, but I can't help it. I don't know when looking back became more interesting than looking forward. It wasn't when you died. God knows I was too young to pack it all in, as they say. Although your absence was like a stone in my chest that never lifted, even with Jack in our years together. Was it when Jack died that I began to find comfort in the past? I began to retreat into it like a favorite blanket pulled out from the drawers of memory and laid across my mind for warmth comfortable old blankets, softened with age, taken out to be shaken and refolded one after another, a reassurance of a life lived. Maxwell said that the storyteller tries to make life acceptable, but that in talking about the past we lie with every breath we draw. Oh, well, you see, Leland, we begin in larceny and end in larceny, stealing and debauching the truth, bending belief to our own ends. You would like that, my love, the joke in the end. Our histories retold in lies. Mom, Mom, his voice is gentle but insistent, pushing into his mother's reverie. Mom, it's a question now. She is vaguely aware of a presence, but the subtle moving shadows undulating across the table are engrossing. Ruby Grace follows the sunlight, 
Her thoughts as fluid as the movement. Ruby, he tries again. Ah, recognition. Her eyes refocus and she finds herself seated in a room she does not quickly recognize in a time she cannot place. Snapping back to the vividness of the light, she is reluctant to let go of her reverie. Mom, Mom, it's me, Gary, your son. Unable to hide his concern, his voice rises on the last word. She smiles to reassure her son as well as herself, the self she had been watching as it slipped by in the smooth reflection of the table, and adjusts herself slightly in the chair. She is hoping to appear perceptive and coherent, but the effort itself leaves her feeling somehow empty. I know it's you, Gary. Don't worry, I'm here. She nods and clears her throat, watching the light playing across the table. I know you are. Laughing with relief, he moves to her across a distance that spans a lifetime. Did you remember about today, Mom? Remember about today, she repeats. She looks down at her hands in her lap, holding her cane. They're old hands, she thinks. Can they be mine? We're going somewhere today, she answers. Not quite a question. Yes, Mom, a dedication, your picture at Centennial Place. It's been painted by Jason Murray, and we're, they're unveiling it today. It will hang in the theater for years to come. Remember, we spoke about this during the week and again last night. Gary is patient, a learning experience. The Centennial Theater? She smiles, nodding. Yes, the theater. I've always loved the theater. There's always something wonderful about the ability to suspend reality. Don't you think, Gary? Yeah, I think suspending reality is always a good thing to be able to do. <laughs> Smiling, Gary continues. We're headed to the theater now, Mom, because the unveiling is today. Unveiling? My God, it sounds like a Middle Eastern wedding. The unveiling? It's just a painting of me, an old woman. Ha! Huh. I don't know why we need all the pomp and circumstance. She shakes her head, enjoying the indignant sound of her own voice. They want to honor you, Mom, and all the years you gave to the theater. You were the biggest star who ever performed there, and they're proud of that and of you. Moving toward her, he continues. Come on, we don't want to be late. He extends his hand. He is strong and confident, solid, this son who stands before her, past his youth, age moving in and taking up residence around his eyes, making its presence known. Do you think they're going to present me with flowers at this unveiling, Gary? Because if they do, I hope you told them about my aversion to roses. Just can't abide the smell of those roses. He shakes her, she shakes her head for emphasis. It just makes me plain gag. Ha! Yes, Mom, I think I may have mentioned the fact that you suffer from a unique aversion to the common rose. Gary smiles indulgently, his brown eyes alive with humor as he looks at Ruby. <coughs> well, I don't know about it being unique, she fires back. Maybe it is, although I've never minded being different. In fact, you could say I have a strong aversion to conformity as well. She nods, looking at her son, her gaze level. I like to think outside the box. Mom, you are so outside the box, you wouldn't recognize one if you saw one, Gary laughs. No, Gary, that's not true. I know what the box looks like. I even know what it feels like. But the next box I'll ever be in will be my coffin. Ha! She bangs her hand on the table for emphasis. Mom! Ruby holds up her hand, warding off his objection. I know, I know. Don't worry, son. It's only black humor. She takes his hand again. Well, if you're finished with all this chit-chat, we should get a move on. We don't want to be late. Although I imagine they'll hold the unveiling for me. I'm an old woman. I move slowly. Pulling on her son's hand, she eases herself up from the chair. I'll never live to be as old as I feel, Gary. Mom, you've been saying that for the past 20 years. Well, it's true. Just wait for the day you wake up and your body doesn't feel like your own. Then you'll know what I'm talking about. Actually, old lady, I think I do. <laughs> Thank you.
It's very nice to hear it in your own voice. Um, and we find, excuse me, we find out later why Ruby Grace is so um, um, disliking of roses. And with MC Elizabeth Green, you just heard Kate Kelly at the March 7th reading and discussion, again in celebration of International Women's Day at Novel Idea Bookstore. Again, it was hosted as well by both them and Inanna Publications. And as uh, Elizabeth again brings up uh, the next author, here is Ursula Fluke. So Ursula Flug is an award-winning author of speculative fiction. She's a wonderful writer. She's great on alternative reality and the unexplained. Um, she's going to read from her new collection of short fiction, Seeds, out from Anana in May. And remember, you heard it here first. <laughs> and um, I, I guess her, her tagline on, on her email was, what do you do with a seed that is planted in a dream? <laughs> Thanks so much, Elizabeth. You put so much work into this. Um, I, I always think a lot about how, because writers, you know, the stereotype is that we're sitting in our garret slaving away and we have no friends. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we're not, we're kind of antisocial. But the truth of the matter is that we are more social than most people <laughs> by necessity. The, the emails for this uh, event were between uh, uh, Renee, the incredible publicist at Inanna, and Elizabeth, our wonderful host, and all of the presenting authors. And Oscar and Joanna weren't included in emails with me, but they were probably with you and no. other people. So <laughs> we're actually no. not, we're, we're here because of each other. So um, thank you all for coming because you're the most important part. It would be, um, I mean, th th to write your book for, for yourself alone in the attic is a great thing, but to come into a room and see all of these beautiful faces is something magical. Um, I'm going to read from a new short story collection, which is coming from out from Anana at the end of May, so you can't see it. They do have a previous book of mine. Uh, this is a near future YA cli-fi book and people say what is cli-fi and cli-fi is climate fiction so it's kind of the fiction of the anthropocene so it's about the near future and different ways in which we are or are not dealing with it um, but the, the new book is um, my third short story collection and I have two previous story collections, and one was published in Toronto by Tightrope Books, and another was published by P.S. in the UK, which is a genre press. And they both had kind of my more commercial um, <coughs> reprints of kind of commercial science fiction fantasy that 
had mm. appeared in genre magazines like Postscripts and Clark's World and so on. And then I realized that I also had not only some more of those, but also prose poem things that had appeared in literary magazines. And um, it's harder to find a new home for those. So I was so pleased when Luciana agreed to publish them. So the piece I'm going to read is called On Fire Bridge. And it's actually really more of a prose poem than a story. And it was published over 20 years ago in a uh, literary journal called um, the Peterborough Review. But I've always been fond of it. Um, and that's it. I'm going to start reading. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure now that it was you who started the fires. It was your desire that called them into being. I can see you in our kitchen, your orange stockinged legs up on the table, your smoking cigarettes, pleased at Pleased as punch. It's dawn and we haven't slept. We are like gods, you say. We're playing marbles in space. I like you saying it. I like your arrogance. I like how you always push me to stay up late when, if it was up to me, I'd have been in bed hours ago. But you need those sunrises. You need what they give you. We walk together so far, little friend, much farther than I ever could have gone without you. I was so happy. We dreamed together, prying open all the doors in space. Doors that were never supposed to be opened, at least not by us. The revolutions that occurred in far corners of the galaxy because of our pliers. They were never supposed to occur, at least not for that reason. In the very center of things, we found a hole and we fell into it. Time yawned. In its breath, we were taken apart and reassembled, exquisite, exquisitely, in a different way. In my memory, I come with you till halfway across the bridge. It's so cold on your damn bridge a shivering place, and underneath neath us the waters range, a stormy winter current so strong, I'm afraid it will carry me away, even when I'm just looking at it. I never thought for a moment you were planning a much longer journey, a journey you would never return from. I come up behind you, always the dawdler, going only because you've gone. Sometimes you fool me, allowing me to believe. It is I who leads. On the bridge, I stay back a few feet, watching, terrified, how you sit on the edge, your legs dangling, staring into the whirlpools. I like it, but it's strong, enough of God's raw bread to last me a whole month. But you, you always want to stay. You call me a wimp. All the same, you want me with you. When we do leave, you explain, it's because of me. You don't want to stay alone. I sigh. We go home together. Home to breakfast specials and laundry and floors. They always get dirty again. I'm content just to be with you. But for you, there's never enough. 
You're so hungry. You always want to go back. Over coffee we argue, and the outcome is always the same. You'll go alone, you say, if I don't come. When I met you, I thought I was the brave one, the adventurer. Sometimes you even let me believe it. For a little while, so long as it meant I'd come a little further, stay a little longer. Until, of course, the time came that I didn't go. And now I retrace our worn steps, hoping to find you. The surface of the water ripples, scudding smoke, embers. <coughs> the fire is close by tonight. The rain turns cold. It turns white, pebbly stone, rough under my hands. The bridge is railing. One hand, the right one, curled around a cigarette. Did you ever notice how cigarettes change taste when it turns cold, when the snow comes? The new sharp smell reminds me of you. I smoke. The tips of my fingers go numb and tingly with clues. I know you're nearby. And now this writing has led me to you, to a voice that seems to be yours, to a place like the places you loved, the bridges. Isn't it good here, you say, in my mind? Isn't it good? And I say, I've missed you. I've missed this feeling as though my cells were electrified, as though we'd been drinking for a week, as though we hadn't slept in years. You chide me. If only you'd come to that last time, like you promised, everything would have been different. Did I promise? If only I'd had the courage to leap into the fire, I would find you still alive, unsinged. I go in my mind now, just for a minute, to be with you. You're always inside the fire now, dancing. It's sort of as if I can see you through the flames, as though you come out and join me to say, hey, look, no burn marks. We talk. I care about burn bridges. I care about writing, but you never have. Doesn't matter, you say. Death doesn't matter. Appearances are a lie. I'm where I've always been, dancing inside this fire. It's always night. It's always sleeting on your bridge. You turn to go. You smile. Will I cross with you tonight? But I don't. Not even this time, this second chance. If I did, they'd burn the bridge. Besides, I have to be somewhere in the morning. I have to write you into life. I stroke your jacket goodbye with a tenderness born of fear, as though even in this dream our lives are so dangerous we might really never see one another again. And maybe they are. My footsteps ring on the empty bridge. But you call me back one more time. Kim? And I say, yes? And you hand me a film can. It's full of mid uh, it's full of wooden matches. You might need them later, you say, when I ask. In the morning, the city is gray and full of rain. I walk through it bleakly, missing you. The newspaper is full of stories of fires, and I'm jealous, knowing you caused them. Stories of viruses, stories of floods. I go to the bridge, but in the morning, it's just a bridge, snow swirling into the river. There's the smell of smoke, of fire, but I know that even if I crossed here, I'd never be able to find you. 
The snow has obscured your footsteps. Still, I hear you laughing, faint as a train whistle, so far away. Later on, I sit in cafes and look out at the snow. I drink coffee. I smoke endlessly, writing in notebooks, feeling I've failed. The forgetting begins. For days that feel like centuries, I sit in my diner by the river, reading, watching the snow squirrel, swirl. I forget what you look like. Everyone becomes you. They build a highway, a busy one, between the diner and the river. All summer, the bulldozers, bulldozers are hungry, tearing the earth. When winter comes again, I finish the front section, moved on to arts and entertainment. There's all these things in here that we don't do anymore, like read newspapers and smoke. <laughs> when the snow returns, I'm sure you'll come back. You'll bloom again, like a winter flower. I bring a boombox to the diner, and I listen to talk shows and to my favorite tapes while I wait for pancakes. When they close up for the night, they leave one light on for me and let me help myself to coffee. I become a legend, a tourist attraction. I stay all night long watching the fish swim around the room at purple morning. They're let out from their aquarium for an hour at dawn before the place opens for the nine to fivers to get their before work coffee. Purple chrysanthemums appear in my water glass, books on my table, television sets. Soon they move up the next table to replace it with a washer and dryer. After the showers are installed, I never have to leave. Still, I forget, I see others. A man with long yellow hair comes. He shares my table for weeks. He shares my ability to go without sleep, or else he's the only one who can drink as much coffee as me. He makes tiny objects so small one needs a microscope to see them, but his hands are like laser beams, and he can see without one, so one learns his trick, and one's own eyes become microscopes too. Tiny sections of the table become very large, magnified a thousand times, until one can see them, the things he makes. Intricate boxes full of electronic parts and food for the soul. Slowly, I begin to remember. I'm not sure what it is I've forgotten. It's just mostly a nagging sensation. I stare at a man in the phone booth, his hand cupped around the receiver. Is it you? The question is meaningless. I've forgotten who you're supposed to be, what it is you do. The blonde man has moved on, but yet another stranger, this time with short dark hair, comes in and piles his knapsack on the floor under my table. He goes to the bathroom, and I get up to do his laundry. In the pockets of his jeans, I find maps. Maps and maps. For the first time in three years, I leave. I call a number I found in the stranger's pocket on the same page as a map of a bridge. A woman answers, her voice breezy and sincere. I know where she lives. It's a house I once stayed in with you. She didn't live there then. There are others. We didn't know them that well. We sit around the kitchen table reading science fiction. Everyone in that house read science fiction. We'd compare plots and styles of writing. We'd bitch about the price of cigarettes. We'd bitch about the price of time. Whenever I was with you, it was always someone else's kitchen. In this memory, which isn't a real one, but one invented by the telephone wires, one which can't exist independently of them, you're going away somewhere, and I am sad. 
through the smoke of the cooking, the cigarettes, the people. You smile the smile of a brother, and I am comforted. I'll be back, you say. But you weren't. In that life, you didn't come back. Or maybe I waited for you in the wrong place. Maybe it was the wrong bridge. When I hang up the phone, I'm released from the invented life. Life that never happened, except in the electronic part of memory that exists because of telephones and, and computers. But I'm still left with the nagging suspicion that you're real, that somewhere I will find a real memory of you. So I go to the bridge. It snows. I wait for you. I'm not sure if it's the right bridge, but it's the only one I know. And you did with uh, Elizabeth Green again as MC. You just heard Ursula Flug at the March 7th reading and discussion in celebration of International Women's Day at Novel Idea Bookstore. We're going to go right back into this uh, with Elizabeth's reading and a Q&A after the top of the hour. But first, I probably should do this. Be right back. Friday evenings at 6 p.m. here on CFRC. Listen to Saltwater Music, a show covering all musical genres from the East Coast of Canada. Celtic, of course, but also rock, jazz, blues, folk, and a lot more. I'm your host, Rob Carnell. Tune in to Saltwater Music Friday evening from 6 to 8 here on CFRC 101.9 FM. Or you can catch us on the web at www.cfrc.ca. And for our listeners out east, that's 7 p.m. Atlantic and 7.30 Newfoundland. The COVID-19 coronavirus is spreading to more countries globally. While there are still only a small number of cases in Canada, it is important to be prepared. COVID-19 symptoms can mimic the flu and include fever, cough, and difficulty breathing. Encourage those who are sick or showing symptoms to stay home and self-isolate or to seek medical attention. Wash hands frequently for 20 seconds with soap and water or disinfect with an alcohol-based hand rub. Avoid touching eyes, mouth, and nose. Practice good respiratory etiquette. Cover your coughs and sneezes with your arm or use a tissue. Clean regularly used surfaces and objects like countertops, doorknobs, and children's toys. Maintain social distance. Stay at least two meters away from someone who is coughing or sneezing. Instead of a handshake, use a wave or another greeting. For more up-to-date information on COVID-19, check reliable sources like your local health authority, the Public Health Agency of Canada, or the World Health Organization. Folk Everything every Saturday morning from 10 till noon on CFRC. Traditional folk, modern folk, future folk, and strange deviations from the norm. Hear the legacy of folk music and discover new favorites and forgotten classics on Folk Everything. Join me every Saturday morning at 10 for a romp through folk culture here on CFRC. Says Red to James, that's a fine motorbike. I'm David Suzuki. Cut your heat and energy use by 10% and you'll be making a real difference combating global warming. The future is in your hands. Shrink your footprint, grow your wallet, cool the planet. Find out how at davidsuzuki.org. 
And I should let you know you're listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. My name is Bruce here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. I'd like to say thanks for tuning in to the first hour of the show and hope you can stay tuned for the second. Uh, We will continue uh, with the celebration of uh, International Women's Day reading and discussion at Novel Idea. And in it, you'll hear, as I mentioned, a reading by Elizabeth Green and followed by the discussion and Q&A after that. Um, my quick mention as well that each hour of each show each week is uploaded to my blog space for it shortly after I get home and saved there for four years at finding a voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. And again, I just want to thank you for tuning in to the first hour today as we're slipping right now into the second hour. I just wanted to mention, and I'll probably do this at the end of the hour, I imagine that probably at least 96.3% of you out there do know that uh, in addition to the other things that have been happening around the COVID-19 thing we're experiencing now is that All university classes, Queen's University classes next week, this coming week, have been canceled. There are also a number of literary events uh, that I had mentioned, uh, literary and artistic events, that have been canceled as well. So... uh, my suggestion is, and it's, uh, it's, it's definitely, I believe, a very good thing that everybody's being proactive about this. It's going to make our getting through this, I believe, a lot easier uh, and uh, less painful than it could be. So uh, bear with everything, I guess, and uh, take care of yourselves out there and stay. Uh, be sure and wash your hands and all that good stuff. Uh, So uh, we're moving into the second hour. I will be giving, I have allowed time at the end of of this hour, actually, uh, 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 several minutes, really, of time for a list of upcoming events that I usually do at the end of the show. And uh, so what I'm going to do is uh, there are also a number of calls for submissions, uh, many of which get neglected. So I'm just going to substitute those because, hey, you know what? Uh, You're maybe feeling like you should stay home more or whatever. Or in some cases, uh, with lots of things closed, there is not a lot to do. So, hey, calls for submissions. So you can work on something and maybe... Maybe get it sent off. How's that? So anyway, it is now at least two minutes into the second hour. So I can say welcome back to the second hour. If you uh, or thanks for tuning into the second hour. If you just tuned in, you are again listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University. Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, and here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock, we do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. Before, uh, I I should say as well that, uh, oh, well, what will be happening in this hour is uh, coming up. I've got a couple of different notes in here, and I want to get this straight. What I should mention, in case you did, let's go back to those of you who just tuned in. I can kind of give you an idea of what you missed in the first hour. Uh, But it was from a March 7th reading and discussion in celebration of International Women's Day. Again, hosted by Inanna Publications and Novel Idea Bookstore. 
uh, with MC uh, Elizabeth Green. And you heard in the first hour readings by Lisa D. Nicolitz, Hannah Brown, Kate Kelly, and Ursula Flug. Coming up now in the second hour, continuing with that International Women's Day celebration, you'll hear a final reading in that evening's uh, uh, event uh, by MC Elizabeth Green, and then the Q&A or discussion uh, immediately after that with the four other authors I just mentioned. Following that, and again, this is going to happen, I'm guessing, about midway through the hour from the March 3rd open mic in the And the Journey Continues monthly open mic reading series. You'll hear readings by Jordan Lane, Leanne Terrace, Ken Chin, Billy Kearns, Gretchen Huntley, Sasha Hill, and Meg Freer. And again, this first, though, the usual hourly announcement, occasionally some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. So as we begin this hour, one last time, again from the March 7th reading and discussion in celebration of International Women's Day, hosted again by Anana Publications and Novel Idea Bookstore, and after readings by Lisa DeNicolitz, Hannah Brown, Kate Kelly, and Ursula Flug. You'll now hear a final reading by that evening's MC, Elizabeth Green, and then the discussion that followed that. Here you go. Well, I, you know, I feel this ought to be the end. I mean, four wonderful writers, right? But um, I'm going to read a little Adele Wiseman. <laughs> but really, a little, because we want time for Q&A and mingling and, um, and okay, so I felt very privileged to do this book, to, to work with Adele Wiseman's unpub mostly unpublished poetry in the New York archives. Oh, thank you. I probably will. <laughs> um, and I discovered these poems when I was um, doing my contribution to We Who Can Fly in the mid-1990s. But I had to convince Adele's daughter, Tamara, um, to let me edit the poems. I mean, I didn't edit them, I selected them. And she wanted Adele's dear friend, Arlene Lampert, to do the poems. Um, and Arlene did. And I built on her work. But she didn't, she didn't really have a sense of how poetry turned into a book. So I. You know, I, I read it for Anana. I said, this needs an introduction, and I'm happy to supply one. And mm. that was fine. But then I looked at the manuscript again, and I realized that the manuscript needed reorganizing. I hope that's not awful. <laughs> um, anyway, I organized it into, I, I selected, and I organized it into five parts. And they're very different. I mean, Adele, um, Adele was a Gemini, and one of the gifts of being a Gemini is infinite variety. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so I'm, um, I've I've read um, I've read her poems about poetry quite quite a bit, and this is um, toward the end of the unrequited love poems. 
And I really think that unrequited love is one of the great themes that people don't write enough about. <laughs> um, so th this is sin, not regrets. Sin, not regrets, because you cannot love me. There is no depth where love is gladly spent. I am your debtor, reckoned truly, love's grateful player, and love's instrument. The mean accuse their loves of making magic. If you've bewitched me, mine is all the gain. I saw you, and my body turned to music, and music is my antidote to pain. I vainly sought in things and thought well-being, but simple source of joy in you have found. Love given freely ends by freeing. Surrender wholly and be wholly sound. Though you deny us harmony of hearts, I'll bless you in the singing of my parts. So, so I, you know, all, all unrequited lovers should be so generous. <laughs> so the, these are two poems about um, find, finding voice, and I may have read these before. So this is I Cannot, and it's November 4th, 1984. I cannot break faith. Let others do what they can do. Let me do only what only I can do, which is certainly the, you know, the credo of, I, I think, the woman writer. Eh? Um, and this is, more, this is along the same lines. I cannot be. I cannot be the true voice of a people. I differ from and disagree with most. I'll have, be, I'll have to be far less significant, but far more difficult, my own true voice. And I, I do think that feminism is about finding your own true voice. Okay, so just a couple more. Um, they're short. Um, um, these are political poems. This one was written December 1983. It hasn't lost its relevance. Mopping up. Biographers papering over closets. Gentiles expunging traces of Jews. Men ignoring the story of women. Newspapers censoring the news. History one long <coughs> mopping up process aimed at erasing alternate voices. <laughs> This is another short one along the same lines, written 1983, still not out of date. The nation evil. That nation evil against which you will not raise your voice today, tomorrow fully grown, won't let you raise your head. <laughs> and then I'm going to um, end with another poem that's you know, different again. And this doesn't give you a sense of the variety of this book, but it's, it's probably about right for tonight. What is the night? A fancy for children. What is the night? Dark bird at rest, fluffed out over her brood, her nest. Where does the night go? <coughs> Condensed like dew, star embedded, the starlings flew. Each little bird a flying nest. Tired stars rocking to daylight rest. Where is the moon? Bright eye of night will sometimes stay to watch the light. Great golden bird whose eye is sun, awake the world to day begun. Earth's creatures stretch and fledglings grow. 
pale moons amazed, how colors glow. Where does day go? Night spreads her wings. Day shuts its eyes like all tired things. So, so thank, thank you, and thank you to all the readers. time for a reading, but there are no good times for readings. You just, <laughs> you just have to have <laughs> Or every time is a good time. So um, so there's supposed to be a, a Q&A and discussion. Maybe all the writers would come up here and you might, you might have questions. So. so are there any questions or comments or discussion about any, anything that you think any of us could speak to? <laughs> Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Hannah, you, did it, I understand correctly you were a screenwriter? I was, yes. And the transition from screenwriting to fiction, novel writing, how was that for you? Or what were some of the challenges? Or um, that, That's a really good question because one day um, a publisher sent me, when I was trying to sell this book, um, sent me a note saying, I love the characters, but it's underwritten. And the same day I received a note from a, uh, an agent who said, this is beautifully written, but I'm not really getting the characters. <laughs> <laughs> so I sent, uh, I sent my manuscript to a friend who's uh, now an appellate court lawyer in Los Angeles, and Amy Jo Cooper, she was the first writer on Degrassi. And I said, what, what am I doing wrong? And she said, why are you withholding? It sounded like lawyer talk to me. <laughs> but then when I thought about it, that's exactly right. When you're a screenwriter, it's action and dialogue. And the and the actors and the directors deliver the emotion and you know, so I had to go back and write and feel it and walk around the house snot and tranny. and um it, it made the difference, and I guess the other thing is, is that um, I used I mostly wrote for series television, and halfway through the book, you see the surprise of season two. <laughs> okay. Any other any other questions or comments or thoughts? <laughs> Mm -hmm. I like the fact that you're all very different. It's all very unique and different and had some sort of like otherworldly aspect to all the writing. Yeah. Different yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, feminist writing should be unique and different. Yeah. I think if I could just take a moment to explain where I got the inspiration for the Virgin Mary turning black like that was, um, and this may sound really, really weird, but it is a true story. I went to the Vatican, and I was there in the massive crowd um, in Rome, and they had these screens, because um, of course you can't get close. So I thought, well, obviously I'm not going to be able to get a picture of the Pope, because he's going to be a tiny little person up on the balcony, so I'll just take a picture of the screen. The Pope was black on the screen, <laughs> and, I, and I still have the pictures. And everything else was in color and focus around it. I was like, "Wow, this is insane!" <laughs> so that was kind of like I thought. You know, first I felt really disturbed. I thought this was not a good omen for me or my life. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
<laughs> but then I thought, well, you know, it might come in handy, and then and then it did. So, <laughs> so I just kind of wanted to explain, um, you know, where that came from. Yeah, the Pope transgendered. <laughs> <laughs> everything comes in handy. Yes, everything comes in handy. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> To, to I like that we it. had a question about craft. So, you know, a lot of us have also taught writing in different ways and forms, so we're also happy to answer craft questions. <laughs> a lot, often the people who come to readings are also writers, so they have secret craft questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think just another thing that I really love about these readings for me personally is I can always learn new things about people and even, you know, things that Ursula has written way back. And then you realize, because as a writer, you feel very, you feel isolated in your own pain of struggle. <laughs> and somehow you think your struggle's harder than there are. But then, like, you, 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 I imagine, you know what I mean? You, you're writing your book, you know, you so it's a very unifying and lovely experience when we, we gather together like this. And then you're like, you know, we we all got, we slog at it for a very long time and we don't give up. And that's um, a journey of bravery. So it always makes me happy when I'm with my fellow writers because uh, it's inspiring, really. Makes me go Nevertheless, she yes. persisted. Yes. yes. <laughs> exactly. Well, also, your, your writing changes a bit when you read with other people who are sympathetic. And yes. Good. I got interviewed and asked why I became a writer, and I can't remember why what I answered. Probably that I, you know, when you're a writer, you always know you're a writer. But but then I got home the other day and put my pajamas on. It was only four o'clock in the afternoon. I thought, no, this is why I'm a writer. <laughs> I can write in my pajamas. <laughs> yeah, so true. I loved your story about the you were studying science and then was encouraged to do English. I always thought that I was, you know, always going to be a writer, was a writer, was born a writer, you know, whatever. And I mis had the misfortune of being told from a young age that I wrote well, so I thought I was really, you know, on fine. And then actually one of my professors read an essay wrote and told me, Mr. Nicholas, this is one of the most banal things I have ever read. <laughs> <laughs> it was utterly crushing. So I had probably... Was it a male professor? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 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 so, but it made me realize, well, I'd better, you know, get my bottom into gear and go and try and learn how to do this properly. So, so I really think it's very nice that, like, you had someone who recognized that. Yeah, because I always wanted to be a writer, but my, what money can you make yeah. being a writer? You cannot. Mm -hmm. You have to have a, some type of career other than a writer until you, yeah. and it's so difficult. So when I changed my major um, from science into English, and I told my father, and he was like, what are you going to do? Read and write for the rest of your life? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> but I ended up teaching, but at least I, you know, writing and raising three children and finding that that's probably, probably I'm a poet first, but um, locking myself in the bathroom just to have those moments, as you all know, where you can get down those ideas that are quickly going to disappear if you don't, you know, and the kids are knocking on the door to get in. And, and then they finally got off to university, and as they got more independent, then I could write more and more and longer, you know. Because he did say, you have to write this, it's a novella, write it into, go back in a few years and write it into an, a novel. And I thought, 
I could never write a novel. Like, I could not think in those terms. Now, of course, I think in terms of novels, but I could never think. The next four, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Anana is putting out a next, my next year, and I'm on my third novel right now, finishing that up. And you don't have to lock yourself in the bathroom. Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't answer the phone. Yeah. <laughs> no one I'll throw out another craft question for you all then. How, um, how do you approach a first draft? Do you have any kind of strategies for writing a first draft versus, you know? The best advice for the first draft that I've heard, and it's the rule I've often broken, is just to write it to the end and don't worry about whether it's any good because it's easy to go back and start uh, worrying about the punctuation. And the important thing is to get to the end because, you know, the writing is actually in the rewriting. So it's in the second and third and tenth draft. And the important thing about the first one is that you're persisting to the end. So, you know, people give the ballpark figure of 80,000 words. And once you're there, you know what it is or you know what it might be able to be. Um, because a lot of people will get to chapter three and then go to the beginning and start rewriting and then they never get to the end, yeah. right? So I think it's a good rule of thumb. I think it's a good rule of thumb. I don't ever do rewrites. I just write the whole thing and then give it to the editor. <laughs> I think, like, I, I started writing this as a screenplay and then thought it's not, it's I hate it when you as you see a, a film and they start ageifying somebody with really awful makeup. And I know they can do it in expensive and slick ways now, but I, I thought I, mm, I don't. I so I, I decided it would be uh, a novel, and I didn't think it'd be that hard. <laughs> but <laughs> but what, what happens is, and you probably know this in your own lives with what with what you do. Some of you are writers looks like all of you are readers, <laughs> but you, um, you think you know what you know, and as you write and rewrite, mm -hmm. as you work at whatever you work at and continue to, um, there are surprises that are there that you'll recognize and you'll think, oh, that's what I'm writing about. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's what I'm teaching. Oh, that's what, I, that's what I'm drawing. You know, you... you uh, um, so, um, so, you're missing some fun. I don't have anything, like, I have a very general thing in plan. Sometimes I have a climax that I'm going to write to, but I don't have it so strictly in place because I know that while my characters start taking on a life of their own, and it takes me to other places that I didn't expect. Uh, but I don't, I never mm. have it in like that. I just, like, I, like mm. sometimes, and then sometimes when I get into the novel, then I know, oh my goodness, I know what the ending is going to be. And then I write mm. the ending and then attach them. Oh. Sometimes I do that. Um, so, given the fact that this is packaged as an International Women's Day event, I'm just curious if any of you have thoughts about the experience of being writers as women, and if there's something you know unique or different about that, or the trajectory of your careers. Well, I think that, yeah, from many points of view, Lava, I think that 
Um, I think that women, because I'm also part of another writers group called the Madames of Mayhem, and we have panels that we get together. Yes, we're quite crazy. And actually, if Madame de the Mayhem. Madames of Mayhem, and actually, there's a CBC documentary that they did on us called mm -hmm. The Madames of Mayhem: Women Who Love Crime. And one of the things that when we're together, we all agree, and this I hope won't offend the men in the room, is that women write from a more emotional perspective. That we have a deeper understanding of the psyche, and we're not afraid to put that stuff down on a page with a man. I mean, they're men who write brilliant stories. I'm not undermining that. But, but as women, we approach things almost instinctively with a, an emotional understanding of things. So, Or we bring that yeah, onto we, the page. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. We should, it's not fair to say men don't no, have deep no. Yes, exa exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not fair to say that. And I, but I, I do understand what, what you're saying, that, that <laughs> there's a more of that we are more likely to allow ourselves to include that. I think because also with the Madames of Mayhem, we were discussing it from the aspects of crime writing. So whereas like you might you know might get a crime novel that was written by a man, it would be um, kind of more if you look at sort of a Peter Robinson novel, it's more about the action. But you know if you were to look at something like a Denise Miller, you go more into the emotions and the the psychology behind the thing. So I think that was more more the thinking of it. But I think as well, I just want to take a moment to shout out to our publisher, who's really, really amazing, Inanna. Because yeah. as you can see, I mean, we all have very, very different voices, um, and we write very differently. <laughs> and, you know, this is my ninth <laughs> novel, and I know we're all repeat offenders when it comes to Inanna, thank, thank yeah. heavens. And, you know, so publishing with Inanna is a marvelous experience, because they have very um, a broad vision of, of all the different mm -hmm. voices, yes. which is mm -hmm. fantastic. They are, they are, they are looking for feminist yes. writing, mm -hmm. yeah. and mm -hmm. you, can, you can get a sense just from this evening what feminist writing yes. is and, and how different it can be. Mm -hmm. and that list is always very diverse. They also publish more emerging authors than most yes. small presses. Yeah. So, so they have quite a large list. Like in a way, I would almost call them a medium-sized press rather than a small mm -hmm. press. But they publish a lot of. Yeah. They do. Yeah. And every year, there are several authors who have never been published in book form before. So, I think they're one of the most supportive presses. I can tell you that they're there. What's that? They're they're on the the bigger end of mm. the small press. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think that's Canada. because Luciana worked so hard and there's yeah. so many and books going at once. I think there's an, another the aspect of the of uh, how is this relating to Women's Day, International Women's Day. And I think that um, when we talk, um, sometimes some people have louder voices, some people um, have voices that are not heard if we're in a group. But um, you have, it is more equal on the page. You have, it is more equitable. You have a, you know, um, uh, in a crowd, the, that loud voice at the back of the room is not necessarily um, a woman's voice. But in books, in writing, I think, I just think there's more equality and egalitarian mm -hmm. possibilities in what's written down because it's not who's the tallest, who's the biggest, who's the prettiest, who's the most charming. It's just, it's very intimate. It's just you and the reader. And it's a close relationship, even if the writer's been dead for 400 years. It's still, you know, it's, a, it's a, an intimate voice. Yeah. 
So I, I think we, sh we should thank our visiting writers again. And thank you. I do want to say I have Ursula's book on order. Okay. If anybody, I mean, you don't have place in order. It's available tonight. for a pre order. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, whatever. How good. Thanks. I'll come back. And you just heard a reading by Elizabeth Green as a final reading in the March 7th reading and discussion in celebration of International Women's Day. Again, that was hosted by Anana Publications and held at Novel Idea Bookstore, so hosted by them as well. Uh, in the first hour, uh, I should just say uh, you heard at following uh, Elizabeth's reading all of the readers from the first hour, Lisa DeNicolitz, Hannah Brown, Kate Kelly, and Ursula Flug, along with Elizabeth in a Q&A and discussion period uh, that ended the event. I'll tell you what, I should probably do this, and I'll be right back. Every Monday night, you can learn a little more about classical music and what it's doing today. Listen to Counterpoint, hosted by myself, Selena Cirelli, here on CFRC 101.9, Monday nights at 7. Community House for Self-Reliance, widely known as 99 York, has for 30 years been providing a central, low-cost meeting space for groups that allow like-minded people to come together to learn from one another, to share resources and trade skills. The goal of this house is to act as an integral part of the neighborhood in which it is located. On a typical evening, an autism caregiver relief group will be at 99 York, together with a 12-step organization and a transgendered support group while a social justice and homeschooling group may be booked in the following day. The community house is also available for less official functions, such as barbecues, birthday and office parties, and other social gatherings. We are proud to also serve the Queen's community. For more information, visit 99 York Street in Kingston. Go to www.99york.org, email info at 99york.org, or call 613-542-1136.
And you just, uh, you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are, again, located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. I'm here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live on uh, live online at www.cfrc.ca. Uh, I'm going to play uh, just a couple of groupings of poets because that's all I really have time for. Again, I wanted to allow some time for at least uh, now, as I mentioned, uh, maybe not sharing as many events, but still some of those, but focusing more on calls for submissions uh, before the show ends. But uh, we've got uh, about 15 or so minutes worth of poetry here uh, to offer you first before we get into that. So let's go ahead and switch gears. We're going to move into the March 3rd open mic in the end. The Journey Continues monthly open mic series. And you're going to hear, Should uh, before I announce this, I think everybody knows by now, but not everybody probably. So uh, these are these readings are done in the round. So what it is is everybody signs a list, a reading list. And uh, we go through it uh, with one poet reading one poem at a time. And then we can end up usually in an evening going through that list at least two times and sometimes three times. So over the course of the night, you'll hear uh, most uh, all of the poets read two to three poems. Uh, Some only one, but uh, if that's all they brought... But uh, that's kind of why these are done in groupings. Otherwise, I'd be here every 45 seconds or so announcing the next poet. So who you will hear first in this from that first in that first round that evening and the first grouping here are you're going to hear Jordan Lane, Leanne Taras, Kenshin and Billy Kearns. This is held again at the Elm Cafe. Hi, everyone. This is uh, Telegram Resurrection. I wish to have some notice before I die. Not from the doctor's office, of course, nor from a license plate veering towards me. No, not too early and obviously not too late. Something brief, indelible, and for God's sake on paper. It should have as little information as possible. As surely you would agree, the thought of knowing how might lend itself too readily to anxiety. The whole point is to balance the pain of surprise against the pain of dying twice. That's why I think the telegram would be an ideal medium. Given the day and age, you would know exactly what it was for. It would just, it would be just long enough for you to get the message, just short enough that you could swallow the truth of your demise whole. It would read something like, you, name here, will die on July 31st, 2083, at 5.16 a.m. Surely you will ask, but from where will we get the message? Oh, don't worry, I've thought this through. A telegram office at the seaside with a long wire up into the sky attuned to the language of birds reverberating their chatter on the breeze catching names and dates and times like snow from heaven another line 
down into the deep water of the ocean trenches, into the thermal vents that are the chimneys of hell, and therein a thermometer measuring the raw morse of temperature. Having received such a message, tasted its tannins and sulfides, I will unbottle it into glasses for each of my friends and my family, and ask them, drink of my love and my memory. Not quite like Jesus, but maybe just a little bit. Thank you. Let's give Jordan Lane another hand. Mike a little more. Is it still? I'm still getting to like a tremolo, some sort of thing. I don't understand. That's what I noticed. Sorry about that, George. Let's bring up Leanne Terrace again. Sorry for the delay here. stumbling out, beautiful variances. Then beautiful harmony begins to sway. As we bring up Ken Chin, let's give Leanne Duras another hand. shot down the other day. People died. Fingers were pointed, accusations thrown. But no one knew why they had to die. The world held a threat as leaders decided what to do. This could be war, television man said, and we all feared that it might be true. When swords were drawn and guns loaded, does it matter who was wrong and who was right? When hate takes over all reason and logic, some fool sooner or later is going to start to shoot and people begin to die. Because politicians tell us to fight, and fear and rumor spreads throughout the land, how quick we are to believe when the government justifies killings. The one thing I know in any war, truth is the first casualty, then people begin to die. Stopping a war is an individual choice. Simply drop your guns, disengage, go home. And don't listen to the old farts who tell you to go and kill or die. It is the older generation that starts wars, and the young who fight and die. Not so long ago, some people thought, what if there was a war and no one came to fight? If only dreams came true. Thank you. As we bring up Billy Kearns, let's give uh, Ken Chin another hand. Thank you. 
Tonse, uh, my name is Billy, and this poem is called Habitat. I come from Yellowknife and the subarctic, the Athabasca, my mother. We know the smell of forest fires in July, the flickering of the lights every time the power goes out. We come from the moss, the willows, the garter snakes, the fireweed and foxtail. I tell home, please, don't forget me. I'll do my best not to let myself forget you. I know where I come from. I can feel home growing out of myself. In every hair through scalp and skin, I pull it out. Recursively become home when I suck on the roots. Reteach myself how to speak to the land. As we bring up Gretchen Huntley, let's give Billy Carnes another hand. And you just heard readings by Jordan Lane, Leanne Taras, Ken Chin, and Billy Kearns. Again, at the March 3rd open mic in the And the Journey Continues monthly series held again at the Yum Cafe. Up next in it, you're going to hear readings by Gretchen Huntley, Sasha Hill, and Meg Freer. This is called The Invitation. She wasn't the prettiest girl in the school. She actually was very shy. She wished the boys would talk to her, but if they did, she'd probably die. She watched the cheerleaders giggle and flirt in their skimpy costumes and their mini skirts. She hated the fact she was a plain Jane, but her marks were good, she had a brain. The teachers loved her, but what did she care? School was torture and life wasn't fair. Her parents were proud of this perfect child, not like her sister who was vulgar and wild. She came home from school and went quickly upstairs. This child who answered every parent's prayers Supper was on the table, they called out their name. They called it again, but nobody came. Dan went upstairs and opened the door. She lay unconscious there on the floor. Clutched in her hand was a letter that read, maybe someone will care now that I'm dead. You all were so happy that I caused you no pain. You didn't even see me as I stood in the rain. I was lonely, homely, unloved, and a joke at school a target to be prodded and poked. I came to a crossroad I needed to know, which road I'd take, how far I would go. If I received an invitation to the senior prom, then my life was worth something and I would live on. But last night was the night and I waited all year. There'd been no invitation, so the time is now here. I opened the bottle of pills that I'd saved hesitating for a moment as I tried to be brave. Just once in my life I wanted people to see someone special as they looked at me. I wish they were looking at a pretty young girl in a beautiful dress that flared when she twirled. With blonde hair that hung loose and lipstick so bright, headed off to the prom for a wonderful night. Yes, my sister last night went to the prom in a gossamer gown of green. I watch from my window quietly. 
alone and yes, unseen. This truly wasn't what I wanted to do. It's not your fault and I always loved you. Each day I'd think, well, maybe today, but nothing changed, I'm sad to say. So you see, I really had no choice but to listen to my inner voice. I heard the words loud and clear, open the bottle, the time is now here. No invitation has come your way. Take the pills, it's your final day. Her father gathered her in his arms. Heartbroken, she didn't see her charms. If only she could have reached out before, she ended her life and closed that door. I can't bring you back, my darling child. In time and with help, you would have smiled. And downstairs on the table, beside her plate, lay an invitation for the prom that was one day late. As we bring up Sasha Hill, let's give Gretchen Huntley another hand. it gets hard to remember to eat. Food comes from the very belly of your suffering. You eat and gorge on the seeds you sow. Your skin wastes away as your soul is full. You are not a starving artist, for you eat brush strokes and words. You are only a starving artist when you stop creating. Then you are no artist, only starving. Thank you. As we bring it up, well, Meg Freer, let's give Sasha Hill another hand. Some of you probably heard this one before, but perhaps not all of you. It's called Lenticular Valentines. Typically, the odd couple meets up at the cheese table. Tension and force scatter boulders hot diamond born on glassy shores where green ice whispers around glaciers, clouds rest on the leeward side of the mountains. Sweet adrenaline wears a shade of blue that needs some UV to get excited. In math, odd doesn't mean strange. Real isn't the opposite of fake. Crumpled balls of paper follow laws when thrown across a room. Does yours imply the existence of mine? The smaller the lens, the sharper the view. Sprinkle sand to reflect the light. Sculpt a passage from for to you. As we bring up Bob McKenzie, let's give Meg Freer another hand. And you just heard readings by Gretchen Huntley, Sasha Hill, and Meg Freer at the March 3rd open mic in the And the Journey Continues monthly open mic series at the Elm Cafe 
Tell you what, I need to do this one more time. I will be right back. Do you like to dance? Tune into The Hustle with DJ Bolt every Friday night between 11 p.m. and midnight. Where you'll hear all the newest dance, electronic, French touch, booty bass, ghetto, deep, and tech house remixes and more. Let the hustle take you to midnight and beyond at 11 p.m. on 4 to the Floor Fridays. Only on CFRC 101.9 FM. I mean, if there's a listener-supported radio station, it means that people can get daily, every day, a different way of looking at the world. Not just what the corporate media want you to see. But a different picture, different understanding, but a different picture, different understanding. Not only can you hear it, but you can participate in it. You can add your own thoughts, you know, and you can learn something and so on. Well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way uh, people become uh, human, you know. That's the way you become human participants in a, in a social and political system. And again, you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. I am, uh, I don't think, with everything canceling and everything, I, uh, let me see if there are any events that I'm certain are going to happen in the next week. It is possible I've seen libraries in other cities closing. I don't know. I would suggest you, if you are thinking about going to the library, that you might want to contact them first to see if they're open. But there are events coming up at the Kingston Frontenac Public Library. Uh, the next one coming up is Tuesday, March 17th from 630 to 830. And it's... Uh, uh, for anyone interested in learning more about how to do family history research, uh, can stop by the Central Branch. Again, Central Branch, Kingston Frontenac Public Library, 130 Johnson Street. So it's downtown. Uh, the Limestone Writers uh, Writing Group. Uh, I know that Queen's University classes are shut down, but I believe all facilities are still open. Uh, their writing group does meet at Stauffer Library at uh, 7 p.m. It meets every Wednesday night except for a month in the summer. Uh, not important that you know what that is right now, but then their next meeting is Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, March 18th at 7 p.m. The first one, contact Kingston Frontenac Public Library. Uh, or look it up at www.kfpl.ca. I'm sorry I don't have their phone number here, but it should be easy to find to make sure that that's still going on. With this writing group one, contact, it's a, it's a personal, it's individuals, a group of individuals that do this. So contact David Pratt at dpratt1939 at hotmail.com if you want to confirm that it's going to happen. I do believe that everything else I have on this list that was scheduled and there were number of them uh, this coming week uh, will not be held. Uh, we'll see. There, are, I have some the second week out. Hopefully, things will be a little bit back to normal by then. Uh, what we have uh, for calls for submissions, and uh, I believe it, uh, I know that uh, Halibut is still looking for micropoems, so basically what they're looking for are unpublished short forms such as haiku, uh, haibun, uh, tanka, 
Ranga, uh, visual poems, uh, and uh, special interest right now. They're looking for poems, and there's only I believe there are probably only a few days left on this one uh, call for submissions uh, with a theme of leap year. Uh, they have a little more extended call for. Uh, their uh, edition uh, that will be equinox around the IEA, themes of equinox or solstice. And so uh, contact them for more information. Uh, you can uh, contact them at Hal- Halibut, so H-A-L-I-B-U-T, haiku, H-A-I-K-U, all one word, at gmail.com. If you're interested or if you just want to send a submission, if you are sending one for either leap year or equinox or solstice, uh, you will want to include that in the subject line uh, and uh, see if there's uh, – I know they're still open for that second group. Uh, that's thematic. They are open all the time, but uh, the thematic uh, calls are timed. Uh, another one is, and this is brand new to me, it's a call for participation. Uh, Modern Fuel is uh, looking for art vendors uh, who, uh, so in other words, if you uh, create uh, zines or paper, any other paper art uh, in a Modern Fuel Artist Run Center is having an event called Being Singular Multiple 3.0, and they're accepting uh, artist vendor registrations. It says what they're looking for are zines, prints, comics, art books, small works, and more. Uh, There will be a sale held in May, May 16th, from 11 to 4 p.m. at Modern Fuel. The deadline for submissions, though, is April Deadline for applications, I guess is a better word, uh, would be April 4th. And uh, you can contact them. Uh, if you need more information, info at modernfuel.org. Or you can call them at 613-548-4883. Again, 613-548-4883. Uh, you can get half table or you can get a full table. Uh, for uh, to display your work uh, for that afternoon again or more than an afternoon 11 a.m to 4 p.m so again that happens quite a ways out but the deadline for applications is april 4th i believe there was a seven day window or something like that and they would let you know if you've got a table or not you can also check out their website www.modernfuel.ca kingston arts council i'm going to go ahead and mention this one it's a little farther out but they're accepting applications for the 2020 City of Kingston Arts Fund. Uh, it's administered by Kingston Arts Council on behalf of the City of Kingston. And uh, the program is comprised of two funding streams, operating grants and project grants. Uh, they provide grants to local arts organizations and collectives to foster creativity at all levels and enrich how Kingston residents experience and engage with the arts. I copied that from there. Uh, earlier February press release. The deadline for that is April 22nd, 5 p.m. That's a huge article. If you uh, if you can go on their website, www.artskingston.ca, and then just do wt-content slash uploads, I think it will take you right to the spot. It's getting to that point where I would like to thank you for tuning in today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. You've been listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM, located in Lower Carruthers Hall again, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name's Bruce, here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. 
to stream live online as well, www.cfrc.ca. Hope you can stay for tuned for two hours of saltwater music happening right at the top of the hour. And uh, two hours, saltwater music, East Coast music by Rob Carnell. To take us there, there are going to be a couple of uh, announcements at the end, but here are Chris and Dee off of their 2019 album Browse Line with a song called No Tattoo.
Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Thank you.